Welcome to episode number three of The Monk and the Shaman with Oria and Kaijo. And Oria, welcome. I feel welcome. Thank you. Good. Good. So you just Kaijo. got back. Kaijo. Kaijo, that's me. That's my that's my Zen name. That's my monk name. We can talk about that later if you'd like. Yeah, but no, um Okay. So, but we actually have something really interesting to talk about. You just got back from a month in Israel. So, yeah. <laughs> still decompressing? Uh, I don't know if I'm decompressing. I'm, it just left me very, I'm almost confused, honestly, because I've been to Israel. I mean, I grew up in Israel. I left when I was 15. And I I visited here and there once in a while, never consistently. And last year I went for the first time with my wife and kid because I figured they may as well get to know. So this year I went again. However, this year was completely different for me. I I don't know how else, how, how else to say it, but I left there knowing that it's my home. Like I really felt at home there. And I've never felt that over there. Um, the funny thing is that this is the first time that I left to Israel feeling at home in the U.S. So maybe it is this knowing what home feels like that allowed me to connect to my roots and allowed me to really feel, uh, you know how, I'll tell you how weird I feel, uh, you know, it's a minute and 28 into this show. There is a sense in me that all of this, as I speak English, is like one big almost persona or show that I've had to develop over the past 21 years living in this country. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to say all of this in Hebrew. And I never had that before. I never had that feeling before. Uh, I mean, I can keep going on. Well, yeah, actually, let's, you know, you used a great word, confusion, which is always interesting. Um yeah, go on. I, I'm fascinated okay. by this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can go randomly and, you know, even I, I remember going to Israel or even when I live in this country, when I hear Hebrew or when I hear about Israel, or I would never want to read the news or hear the news. Even going to Israel, I would not necessarily enjoy listening to Israeli radio. There was some sort of a resentment hearing about Israel or there was always a sense of that I felt I just didn't connect to it and to Israelis also to Israelis themselves I wouldn't connect very well mm -hmm. I would always think maybe because I didn't do the army I didn't do a lot of the stuff they did I grew up as a religious guy and and it's true, even going to Israel now, and I picked up a bunch of books and I was reading, I realized that I don't really read or speak Hebrew like Israelis do, because most of my upbringing was Hebrew in like the holy language and Aramaic and religious studies. But this time, it was very clear to me that I'm Israeli, that I come from Israel, that I'm Jewish, that I share this trait of like the innovator part, the 
the one that's pushing all the lines. Uh, I, I was I, I was just I, I was wowed and awed by how much. And again, really, I was the kind of guy who I didn't I paid patri- I didn't like patriotism, and uh, God forbid, I didn't care for Zionism or anything like that. I, I thought that that is the ingredient of of alienation and and so much of the trouble that we have. But, you know, now that I've kind of made, even the show before, before going to Israel, the last show I did with you was all about uh, my uh, disdain for exclusivity and for anybody that doesn't include someone else and how religion is really, well, religion itself, we, I, I don't really have an issue with because it's supposed to be just a, an invitation to create or co-create with the divine. But any kind of dogma that alienates other people really got under my skin. And yet I was able to go there and true, I ignored, I still ignored the news or I really did not like what I saw as far as the politics and the war. But I found the heart. I found the heart in people. I found my heart as uh, as someone who grew up there and it really fascinated me for to give you an example the when i was talking to when i would go to a coffee shop and i would get a sandwich the way that the guy would treat me while getting the sandwich was very very different and unique to me in my experience in america like i felt a sense of empathy and care and compassion i mean we're talking about a sandwich that you know, I haven't experienced much over here. Again, specifically, because I do, you know, it is it is my home country. But I can't explain it. I can I, I can tell you this way. I can tell you that the many connections there. And you know, I, I'm involved with people who work with shamans, and uh, I mean, I call myself an urban shaman for a reason. And I am I, I, involved with people who do a lot of work on themselves, who feel very open and empathetic. And so many of the men that I interacted with over there felt like they did so much work already on themselves, even though I know that wasn't necessarily the case. Like they didn't do any journeying or personal development work. It was more the character, the development of the people that at least I interacted with, there was so much heart. There was such a connection that, again, I was really surprised. So it was, it was very, it was difficult for me coming back, only because I spent most of my life, I spent 22, 21 years in this country, really ignoring Israel, not thinking about Israel, and now i'm you know i'm here it's only been a week but i can't help myself but to just put on israeli radio and listen to israeli music and look at pictures i talk to my son in hebrew more especially he seems to be listening to me more when i talk to him in hebrew so there's interesting yeah i mean i can go on and on and on let me tell you well well, yeah, you. Yeah, I remember, you when, remember when during our last during episode, our last episode you, you mentioned that you know you called Israel the land of the spiritual asshole, right? The capital, and yeah, the capital of spiritual asshole. Yeah, um, and 
is that being rewritten now, or is that a yes and? Or it's you actually a yes. got back to Haifa, right? You where were yeah. you? I was most of the time in Haifa with my mother and my grandmother. And you know, honestly, to tell you the truth, it was spending time with my mom in a way that I, I learned so much. My mom and also my dad came to visit from America, and that was uh, that was a whole journey. I my mother is a recovering heroin addict. She we, we grew up in a very very unconventional way where we were religious, but my mom and my stepfather were also using heroin, and there was so much out of the ordinary, and so many reasons for me to always just want to leave the country and not want to be back, and and I really did not like my environment, so I always just just left everything and kind of said this wasn't good for me, but this mm-hmm. time. Again, maybe it's because I'm a father now and I'm a maturing spiritual guide of sorts that I was able to see that one of the biggest lessons I've learned that life has kids and everything else is a bonus. All of this expectations for safety and security and love and compassion and care and money and education and I have no idea, guidance and wisdom it's nice to have it, but it's it's all a luxury and it's a bonus. And, mm-hmm. I, and I was able to connect. I wasn't pissed at my mom even once. And I usually, uh, she would get under my skin. I was just able to mm-hmm. see her. I spent a lot of time with her mom, who is a Holocaust survivor. And this was the first time in my life that we spent a lot of time talking about it. She spent six years in the camps. And, and you know, to quote her, she said that she, in her lifetime, and she's 87 years old now, in her lifetime, she has seen more dead people than alive. And I got to, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. If we were watching, uh, they were watching Big Brother over there, the Israeli version. Uh, I, I really, I, I never really watched that show, but I know it's an old show in, in the U.S. Yeah, it's that's a reality show, right? It's a reality show, yeah. So imagine, yeah, okay. you know, I got my grandmother who's a, who's, you know, Holocaust survivor who's super strong and upbeat. And let me tell you, she's stronger than me, so much, like literally physically stronger. She is just amazing. And I asked her, I said, what do you like about this show? Why do you watch it? She said, well, it's like a jail anyway, right? That so people are locked into the house. And so I, she's like, I wonder what the dynamics are of people being locked in under a house. I said, why is it so interesting? She said, well, it's how people show up for one another. It's a really, it's a community. And she said, let me give you an example. She said, she was in a camp with 2,000 people and they were all working. And she said one time, one of the girls, one of the women, she was uh, between the age of 10 to 16, to give you an idea. One of the girls got away with one of the guards, one of the SS guards. You know, it was like a romance. Mm-hmm. And as punishment, they didn't feed all of them, all 2,000 of them for three days. They didn't eat. And she said their only response was, wow, yes, one of us got away. She said if somebody didn't feel good, all 2,000 of them would take it upon themselves to take care of the one person. And so, she, so I said, so what's going on with Big Brother? She said, well, this season, this season they don't really, they're not really standing up for each other. But last season was great. 
And, you know, that's just like half hour in my life in Israel. But just being able to be there with my grandmother and learning so much from her and how, what she has seen, she, told, she tells me that sometimes she thinks it's such a, so bizarre what she went through that sometimes she wonders if she made it up and she has to call some of her friends that are still alive just to call and say, did I really survive with one piece of clothing for six years, you know, walking in snow every day? Did I really not eat for months at a time? How, how is that possible? And so to just kind of see my history, to see where I come from, to see, and I'm very upbeat and positive, and I have a, I'm working on having real reverence for life, and I try to imagine that this is what I do as a community builder. I, I help people into remembering how magical life is, and I would think my grandmother is this way, and in talking to her, I learned so much about her and how you know, she talks to me about that she has memories all the time of the Holocaust. And I, I said, what is it about the memories? Like, why do you keep remembering them? In her words, she said that she chooses to remember them and live by them every day. I said, why? She said, because they, I quote, the bad accompanies me to the good. The bad memories literally motivate her into knowing that anything is possible. And I'm telling you, she's 87. She smokes. She's like, you know, she's whatever. She's doing her thing. But she is super healthy, super alive. And it's against every, you know, everything. And I know as far as health. But it's her mind and her spirit and I'm not even saying positivity. It's not even about being positive. It's just about the desire to live, the will, the will to live, the will to be strong. She told me her stomach was hurting one day, and she really didn't like it. She's 87 years old. She doesn't, you know, she, she, she was in a bad mood because her stomach was hurting her. Like, this one is expecting to just feel good and be good all the time, and she kind of is. So... That just blew me away, just spending time with her. And then you got my mother on the other side, who is a recovered heroin addict. She doesn't, she functions 5%, 10% in the same way that my grandmother does. I mean, she still does things, but with that level of desire to do and to create and to work, she works, my grandmother works in the garden every day for four or five hours. And she's got this other mentality of, just being happy with what she has and taking it easy and being grateful. And she lost a son. She has a son in jail. She's got a son in America. And yeah, she, she wasn't complaining or, or uh, just expecting anything in particular, except just being really grateful for what she does have and just spending time with them and just even realizing that Israel itself is, you know, 60 years old and how much, how much did they get done in 60 years old? How their language wasn't even there. There was no, there was no, there was, there was no roads. And in 60 years, you got schools and innovations and biotech and everything. Now, of course, I saw the ugly side too. There was some ugly side. Uh, you know, there are Israel in many ways politically is, you know, just like it's a corporation and mm-hmm. many of the decisions are being made 
because we sell weapons to everyone and it's no different than America. It's very hard for Israelis now to find out that just like Americans are finding out that we are responsible for ISIS and for Al-Qaeda, Israel mm-hmm. is finding out that we are responsible for Hamas. And so a lot of the same stuff is happening over there. And it was fun for me, I guess, to watch it. I'll tell you the truth. It was like, they're, 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 you know, my whole statement about them being the capital of spiritual assholes only got stronger because I saw that it really is true. And, but again, it all comes from a place of ignorance and, and people who don't see that they have more options and a lot of the same power play you know, power over and being on top and weapons being the only real moneymaker in town. But I could see, I could just see, I am, you know, when my mom put me on an airplane and said, go to America 20 20 years ago or so, it wasn't just to save myself. It was to learn something. It was to learn something about myself. It was to learn something about the world. And in some ways, come back home and teach it. And not just come back home to Israel, just come back home to my heart. Come mm-hmm. back home and really spread what, you know, many people before me were here to teach. I mean, I guess I can keep going and going. I found out, you know, what got my parents into spirituality. And I went and I was led, just like serendipity, led to find out that like I, I went to a used bookstore and I found the books that got my dad and my mom into spirituality and opened them up and just had the most transcendent spiritual experiences just reading some of the words that my mother and my father were talking and preaching you know before and while conceiving me and that whole time period Mm-hmm. For me to realize that my work now is so much bigger and greater than any of the training I may have gotten as an urban shaman or any of the community building that I've been kind of fumbling through over the past three years, that I'm really continuing a line of teachers and light workers that have begun thousands and thousands of years ago. And my travel and you know, across the across the globe, and what I have been teaching, and this language that I'm speaking with you right now, has all been training. It's all been just training to get me to be here where I am right now, with this total and complete awareness of what I'm here to teach and what line of work I'm continuing. So one of the reasons why I'm a little confused, but not really, is because. My whole life is kind of making sense to me. My entire life is making sense to me. And I have been in the community that I've been working with, I've been saying that we need to start from scratch. And that's something we talked about. And I am completely humbled and dumbfounded by the fact that I am invited to do the same myself. Of course, I knew that, but I didn't really understand the capacity of that Awareness to start from scratch, literally meaning taking everything I've learned, you know, whether it's entrepreneurship and technology and hypnosis and your linguistic programming and Kabbalah and marketing and shamanism and uh, sexuality and 
everything, putting it all together and relationships and being in my relationship and as a father and really coming from here, starting from this place right now, right here, this coming spring. And, you know, and in many ways, even being on this show is exciting. I, I, I thought I was going to do some shows from Israel and I wasn't able to and I didn't push it. So I, I thought that perhaps my first show on the podcast I do every week, I'll be able to talk about it. But of course, I didn't. I managed to have two guests and I just asked questions. So right now with you, it's almost like my first podcast ever in some ways. Mm-hmm. Beginner's mind. Beginner's mind. A beginner's mind. Yes. Yes. And I'm experiencing so much so much gratitude and oh, and also in my uh, professional or personal life, anything that I knew I was going to have to deal with and I kind of didn't know how or when, everything is just coming up. Like even when I was there, any kind of thing that was swept under the carpet or shadows that I was afraid of, even things that I was 100% sure that I won't deal with again because everything is fine, so much of it kept coming up and keeps coming up. Because life is just looking at me and saying, look, you're here to teach something. Enough hiding. Make sure you show up fully because the only way, the only way you can be in integrity is by being yourself fully. And the only way to be yourself fully is to be full. And that is taking me all the way back to my studies of Kabbalah, which, listen, I worked at the Kabbalah Center for six years. And this is a place that so much of it has started in my own living room, in my house when I was a baby. And for six years, I literally spent most of it. Yeah, I worked. I did. I, I, I developed an online university for them, and I did a lot of great things. But I didn't study there. I resented them. I found all of the bad stuff. I found all of the people that, and reasons not to like them. And it just blows me away that certain things that life keeps throwing at me, that if I don't really go in and investigate and fully, fully explore what life keeps coming at me, I will keep uh, experiencing some kind of a short circuit. I will keep experiencing bumps along the way. Ultimately, they're not real bumps. They are one to tell me, turn around and look at what you already have. Turn mm-hmm. around and look at what, where you come from because you cannot know where you're going unless you embrace where you come from. And that's been a very, very humbling experience, mind-blowing experience that, as I said, you know, coming here to this country, coming back with my family and going, first of all, I want to have more kids, which I always said that I want to have more kids. But in Israel, I felt it. The first time I really Mm -hmm. felt it. In Israel, I felt my relationship with Carrie go beyond any of the everyday minutia or even every year growth, just like this global cosmic vision of myself and her and our family. Uh, my desire to, 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 to take root and hold and, 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 and really spread the feeling of home here in this country and really explore my home in Israel is, dude, I was there. And believe it or not, somehow in that trip, 
my parents were talking about this land that they own that they haven't touched in 35 years since I was born. And they're talking about kind of not only getting some new ownership over it, and, and, but I, they, they were talking to me about deeding me some land so I can open up a spiritual center there. Like out of all the things that could happen to me in this trip, this was one of the most bizarre things. And there was nothing I could do. These were all conversations that are happening with, you know, not even with me, just to me. Right. Right. So, so yeah. So, so, yeah, so things are getting revealed are getting to you. Revealed. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Well, you know, you've, you've mentioned several times that you grew up in a religious family and now you're talking about reconnecting with that. What, Explain a little bit what you mean by growing up in a religious family. You've touched on it a little bit here and there. And 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 then maybe we can expand on that to this reconnection that you felt during this trip. Well, the reconnection is definitely not to my religion and not to the religious part. But when I ask my mom, because you have to understand, even the religiousness in my family, I was the only relig- real religious one. My parents, my mom and my stepdad at some point just sent me to the schools, and I would go to synagogue with my brothers while they would stay at home. So I asked her once, I said, why did you do that? Why did you send me to all this religious stuff? If you guys yourselves weren't religious, not to mention using heroin, a whole bunch of other stuff. She said, I wanted you to have the tools. Okay. Now, I'll take it to today. I'm, I'm playing with my son. And I'm playing some sort of form of basketball where we try to hit the ball inside the thing. And I'm not hitting it. I'm trying very hard. I even aim wrong, hoping that maybe I'll hit it, but I'm not. So I say out loud, I say, I intend to hit this ball and to throw it in the basket. And I say it out loud and the ball goes in. Now, that's the basics of the tools that I've learned is abracadabra, using my words, using my intention, using prayer, speaking to the universe. For me, if we take away the religion, the spirituality, the spirituality that I was exposed to, which was mysticism mostly, has a, had a lot to do with finding our place in the cosmos and knowing, here is what I remembered in this trip, literally knowing that I have so much to do just like the cosmos affect us, that we affect the cosmos. Really knowing that the human being is like, how do I say it? There's a three-way system between, let's say, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the, and the, and the human, where we, like all three of us, are co-creating and playing and creating this reality. And... I've known about it. I've heard of it. I've studied quantum physics. Uh, but to just find it all within my childhood, find that I was exposed to this, to quantum physics and spirituality. I was exposed to it in the books and in the sacred texts that, to me back then, just looked like dogma and it looked like I didn't want to study it. And But realizing that I was exposed to it all along. So what I'm going back to I'm not even going back to anything. I'm just like surrendering to the fact that I've been through some knowledge and I've been exposed to some wisdom that was completely hidden from me 
by my own uh, biases or by the fact that people around me were using them wrong. Even when I was working at the Kabbalah Center, and I was like, Mom, why do I find them to be extortionists or whatever it is, whatever you know, issues I had with them when I was working with them? And I say, this was just my lesson, and these were the people that I was hanging around with. And she said to me, behind the facade, there is truth. See if you can find it. So what I'm going back to is the really global and universal truth that I was exposed to. Maybe they called it Judaism, or they called it Kabbalah, or they called themselves Kabbalists. But it's no different than just calling yourself you know, a shaman, or a rabbi, or a sage, or a prophet, or a priest. I have no idea. Or a monk. But really being a spreader of light, a teacher of light, an example of a human magician and a wizard. Now, we are all magicians. We are all wizards. But this business of elevating consciousness is becoming aware of it. When I said my intention was to make the basket and I made the basket, that was not a coincidence. And, uh, and I know I can give you so many other examples, but this is it. This is really it. It's using language. It's using intention. Using using the power of the mind to really create. Using the power of the heart to embrace and to know what it is that we are being called to create. And how is that, how is that affecting you now affecting as you, you now come as back you to your community to your and and you start practicing again and practicing the shaman journey work? I don't know. We'll see. I've only been back for a week. I had one community gathering that I really felt like was the best gathering I've had yet. Uh, what was different about it is that I realized my words, my words, my intentions, they, they, it's dangerous for me not to consider it. It's, 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 I, I can't explain. Um, a lot more intentional, a lot more direct, which I've been making the effort to anyway, but it's beyond effort. It's beyond effort at this point. It's a responsibility. Uh, it's, it's very, 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 very clear to me. It's very clear to me that we have this gift of speech. We have the gift of thought. We have the gift of intention. And... I, you know, just you asking that question, honestly, I didn't think about it that much. The only thing I have been thinking about is just taking the time to integrate back. And with that, it just meant not to do too much, not to have the, you know, not to have the urge to write, to record videos, to do stuff, to talk about stuff. I just wanted to take my time. And I knew that this podcast would be the first one that I would be doing something, you know, that I could share. So this is more of a discussion where mm -hmm. I can really talk to the community and I can talk to the world at large from from the deepest places of uh, of my heart, really. The deepest places of my heart. And this question I'm going to ask you maybe next week or in a couple of months, how has my behavior or actions or attitudes changed since I come back? Mm -hmm. Well, I can just tell you, I haven't seen you since you've been back, but I can tell you right now just hearing your voice uh 
is I'm feeling a real calm in your voice, but I'm also, I'm feeling a huge grounding, like you're really centered. Um, you know, you're, you're really a fun guy to be around. I mean, I enjoy you as a friend. I enjoy just hanging out with you when, when we have the opportunity to hang out. And now I'm, this is coming up and maybe it's the wrong word. So correct me, or maybe we can vamp on it a little bit, but I'm feeling a gravity in you and your intention. Does that make any sense? In more than sense, I can feel it when you say gravity. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, one of the highlights in the trip was that I met with a, a peace activist of sorts. And I say of sorts because I, you know, I don't know what the title is, but uh, she classifies herself as a Palestinian and she works mostly, or at least from my experience, working for Palestinian rights. And I mean, to the point where when she has to work with the people she has to work with, she can't even say Israel. They have another name for it. Uh, because, you know, Israel is the, is, is the occupier. Right, and, and they don't recognize Israel as a nation. Well, sure. And I had dinner with her. The dinner was good, but then I took her home to see my mother. And just for 15 minutes, she only had a few minutes, so they had a cup of coffee together. And my mother... And I said something like, yeah, we've been assholes. And my mother says, no, we are assholes. Hmm. And the woman said, the peace activist, the Palestinian lady said, what do you mean? She says, oh, no, we're assholes now. We've been assholes for a long time, and we know it. You know, we, many of us are embarrassed that our kids are in the army. Many of us are embarrassed that this is still going on and this is still happening in front of our eyes. And I'm sorry. I don't know if I can apologize for the entire nation of Israel, but I'm really, really sorry. Now, that woman, the Palestinian, said, I have never, she's been doing this for a long time. This was her first visit to Israel in eight years. She said, I have never heard that said by an Israeli and, and Israel. And for me to sit there, and for me to sit there, I realize that that's my work. This is why I do what I do. You know, it's nice to get back into our hearts, but the real goal, I mean, it's all the same goal, but the goal and the goal is peace, true peace and harmony between ourselves. Another great part was my mom and my dad were together very few times over the past 35 years and they were talking a little bit of politics and I, just, I guess I won't say who said who, what, but one of them said when they, the Palestinians understand something that's blah, 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 blah and I remember saying there is no they and I just saw like all of us, my parents and me, like we were all in alignment for half a second that there is no they there is no Palestinians, there is no Israel, there's no 
There was no, this is all stories that we all created and made up. And we have a real tangible goal of just being together and living together. Man, the Palestinians are, uh, are, are, are so creative and innovative. The Israelis are so creative and innovative. When we stop fighting just to support an old story that really is being used to sell weapons, we have so much potential for love and, and, and joy. That's right here, right now. People want it. People can have it. So the gravity of my work, thank you for saying it in that word. Yes, it's, it, it, is, it is so much more than, than I would ever understand. Uh, and the spiritual, this, I was reading a Kabbalah book on the train yesterday. And I was reading an English translation to a Hebrew book I picked up there. And I would have never bought the English book. I mean, I was around it for years. I never really would have read it. I read it only because I, the Hebrew book spoke to me. And I remember reading and, and realizing, oh, yeah, that's why I didn't read these books. That's why I stopped reading stuff. Because it kept saying things like, Kabbalah has the answer. The Kabbalist knew. Uh, Kabbalah has all of the answers to all of the things. And there was a place of forgiveness in my heart. And I realized that at some point when people were evangelical, where people were very, very passionate about their stuff, they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it and said, Kabbalah had the answer. Christianity has the answer. Judaism has the answer. It's okay to say Kabbalah had the answers and Kabbalah had answers. But it's very important to add every single time that we know that it's just part of universal wisdom and many other people and many other systems have the same answers. And it was such a healing experience to read a lot of the same stuff that when I read them five years ago, I just, I would cringe. I'd be like, oh, these freaking people, man, they can't talk like this. But you know what? They can and they did. And it's okay. Just because some of them, somebody sat there and they were so convinced that the information is so good and must not be anywhere else. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous, but I wasn't there 70 years ago when they wrote the books. I wasn't there 20 years ago. I didn't have the same upbringing as those people writing those books. So knowing that somebody can take the truth and when they say, I'm the only one with the truth, it turns everyone off. Even worse, it causes war and chaos. But to know that there's actually truth there, and the Chinese people, they found it a different way, and the, 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 Palestine, mm-hmm. the, the Arabs find it a different way, and the Jews find it a different way. I mean, they don't even find it in a different way. They just have it in different texts and different formats. But it really speaks of the same exact truth. For me to find quantum physics in Kabbalah was very hard for me at first. Because I was like, how is it here in 2,000-year-old text? And then finding it in I Ching and, you know, I don't know what I Ching is, Chinese of sorts. You know, to find a lot of the same stuff in different texts. But again, five years ago, 10 years ago, aggravate me. I would stop studying it because I'd be like, I can't do this. I cannot study something that someone thinks that they are the only one knowing it. And I'd like to invite myself, people are listening, and the rest of the world to really find a place of compassion and forgiveness for this sort of language and for this sort of even attitude that we were being met and to say, okay, well, that's what they thought. That doesn't make the information wrong. 
and again, I'm talking to you live. I'm really processing it. It's still hard mm-hmm. for me. Like there is a part of me that cringes when it says Kabbalah has the answer or, you know, Judaism knows it all. But we have to integrate all of this. We have to really find a place in our heart and realize that the internet didn't exist 20 years ago. And we live in a brave new dawn, the age of Aquarius, where information is just everywhere. And who knows what Jesus had to do or what the Crusaders had to do or what, uh, you know, the, I don't know, Allah Buddha. and Buddha. I don't know what they had to do in order to get the message across. I, I remember going to Kundalini Yoga and feeling the same way because the guy would say that they're the only ones who have the answer. So I would, I would leave. But we mm-hmm. need to, for me, I need to stop leaving and start, <laughs> and start yeah. integrating all this information. Well, I think, I think there's, and, and again, I think it's in languaging. You know, if, if you're going to say that my path, whatever my path is, has the answer, then I think it's a very human response to that to say that, and no one else does. This is the only way. When I really see it, and, you know, and, and this is me speaking from a Zen point of view, you know, and we speak very much of the path, just as you, you know, in, in the shaman work, we speak of the journey. Um, and I, I think that all of these different methodologies and all these different ways, you know, all of these different things, Zen, Christianity, the Bible, the, you know, all, all of these different paths, they don't have the answer because we have the answer. The answer is inside of you. The answer is already there, but through life and through living and through politics and whatever it is, society, culture, whatever you want to call it, I, I think we forget the answer. And I think each of these paths are different paths to help us find the answer. And 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 I think, you know, you, you've mentioned it several times, and I think you're really hitting it. The answer lies in our hearts. And we have an opportunity to either say, okay, the answer's there, and maybe I'm lucky enough to, you know, have glimpsed it once in a while, or maybe, you know, in, in the Buddhist terminology, they'll say, I'm enlightened. That means somehow I know the answer. Um but the beauty is, and, and I think a lot of what you're saying, is that the answer is available. I believe the answer is within us all. And it's in that connection that you're talking about, the connection to the cosmos, to the universe, however you want to speak it. It's there. And then what tools do we use? What practices do we have in order to open up ourselves, our hearts, um, you know, in Buddhism, we call it our minds. Again, it's just different words. It's just different labels for these things. And as human beings, you know, they're frankly, they're all just concepts, you know, but we need those kinds of concepts. You know, I think, I think it's really, as we explore these things, I, I think that as, as humans, you know, as we are, we're here 
you know, trying to balance what, what we call in my practice, the, the absolute and the relative, you know, the absolute being the cosmos being, uh, that spiritual space, whatever you want to call it versus the relative, which is what most people would call the real world. And so how do you, you know, how do we as human beings, you know, take a look at where we are, where we're living. I've got this body that, is great and at the same time is diseased um and and you know how do we connect that to our spiritual beings the the absolute peace um yeah and and well i you know i've had very much the same experience in my in my life i remember and i don't know if i've told the story on this show before but i'll tell it again you know, when I was a kid, I think I was in eighth grade at the time, or no, I was definitely younger, uh, probably third or fourth grade. We were sitting in Sunday school. I grew up as a as a Lutheran, Protestant, you know, pretty standard American Protestantism, though still fairly yeah, upper Midwest, Minnesota kind of things, fairly conservative. Um I remember sitting in class and, you know, them saying, well, you know, the way, you know, there's heaven and there's hell and either you go to heaven or you go to hell after you die. And the way to get into heaven is to accept Jesus as your savior. And Ooh. and I remember sitting there and I'm like, OK, first off, I'm very well aware, even at that young age, that there's an awful lot of people in the world that will never have an opportunity to have any exposure to Jesus at all. And then, of course, and, and, and I think the thing, too, that really struck me is, well, Jesus was only a couple thousand years ago. I mean, actually, at that time, it was only about a thousand years ago. Um, that was a joke. Uh, first joke of the show. Um, but but what um, about all the people? Yeah, what about all the people that lived before Jesus? I mean, what happens to them? And, and you know, I've heard that, yeah, there are answers and stuff, but but it's still that that same kind of well, we have the answer. And, and I can remember that very moment of thinking, well, if that's the case, if we're leaving out most of every human being that's ever lived, that's really inconsistent with the stories you're telling me about this loving, caring, benevolent God who's supposed to love all of his people and, and invite them into heaven. And, and yeah, you know, I didn't, you know, I still went through the paces because I, you know, lived in a small town in Iowa and this is what my family did. You know, I went through communion and all that stuff, but that's the moment that I left. I said, just a minute, this, this whole, this whole thing, what, what you're teaching me is so inconsistent from what I believe that God is, that you've taught me that God is. And you know, and, and I think that's, I kind of feel that that's the work that we're doing, that you and I are doing here right now, that, that I'm doing in my, my Zen big mind practice, and you're doing in the shaman practice. And, you know, again, it just has different labels and looks differently, but it's still all the same thing of, of finding, breaking down those barriers to somebody has the answer. Well, we all have the answer. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because I was I was going through some concepts, right? Some well, you said uh, a couple of minutes ago. You said 
that we humans, we need tools and resources and concepts. And, you know, a part of me has always kind of stayed away from writing things down and, 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 and teaching in a very structured way. Uh, so I guess one of the things that's going to change, that's changing, is that uh, with the gravity of my work, with the gravity of my commitment, is to take more time and to create more content and more structure, knowing that the human mind likes it and needs it and just being being okay to go back I me mean, to go back to a lot of the stuff that I was raised with and just utilizing the stuff that for me speaks and then taking on the challenge of either finding new words and new ways to express it because I found some things that like specifically when I was going over some of the uh, older Kabbalah texts, I really discovered that they do not, or at least the ones I was reading, they don't talk about a God as, a, as anything but an ongoing, literally eternal force that its intention is nothing but light and good. But it's not a thing. It's literally within us. Now, we know that. We, we, we talk about it. But then when it goes into like the different explanations of our purpose and our and why we suffer and why we don't suffer uh, or how to how to literally create positive and negative uh, energy in the world with our words with our actions you know the same stuff that really bothered me 10 years ago or 6 years ago the same stuff that would annoy me uh now not, not, not only I find fascinating, I find it so compelling. I find it so compelling because I literally just from a place of forgiveness and, and, mm. and empathy and compassion for what people had to do in order to get some of this information. When you said before, go back to the heart and all the information is inside of us, that's true, yes. And what we have learned from, you know, organized religion or disorganized religion is the reason why people keep coming back is because people do like structure people do like content that they can wrap their minds around now, if we don't abuse them if we don't dangle the carrot in front of somebody and say that they don't really they can't have it unless they do something we have a real chance to create a new set of information and experiences and knowledge and wisdom that really will, will enable people to become God every day. And mm-hmm. I guess in the past, I would say we can, like you just said, we can find everything in our heart. It's true, we can. But people do need and like to study something, to immerse themselves in mm-hmm. something. And I really feel that responsibility, and I don't really feel like saying it out loud, but to sit down, and to create more time and space for myself to create it because otherwise I'm selfish. Uh, it really, it really, it really, like I've been really feeling it in the past week or so and seeing any of the places in my life that I don't know if I'm not experiencing flow. It's more of that they bring up certain things in me that do not feel good and create a little bit of doubt and one thing that keeps coming up to me in my life is that 
they have a responsibility to sit down and create. They have a responsibility to maybe it's to stand up and create, to stand up and create, to write things down, to record things. And I've been wanting to do it with you, mm-hmm. but it's it just it, there's a there's a gravity now to this. Uh, I, I feel like my lower back has been hurting me since I got back, like in a way that it hasn't hurt in many, 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 many years. And I'm just like, what is it? What's going on with me? And I can feel, I can feel the, my, the entire life, my entire life going and pushing me and saying, it's really, really time. It's really time to do the work that I haven't been doing, which is, uh, you know, making it, making it really, making, making certain concepts and certain wisdom and certain invitations work for, work for more people. Because I've been saying it, but now I have to take it into more action. I've been saying that I'm not interested in uh, having a successful business. My interest is really leading or co-leading a movement. And, mm-hmm. you know, just talking to you and, and, and feeling it within myself, I know that I am one of many, and there's many of us listening to this, many of us really feeling it in their hearts and feeling that itch to teach, to share, to create. It, it's not a coincidence. It's not, if you don't, my, that's my like, message or even prediction. If you don't teach, if you don't create, if you don't sit down and do some really deep work, especially those of you who really feel the calling, it will manifest as trouble, as pain, as chaos. Mm-hmm. It would. <clears throat> because we have to offset the blessings and the grace that we are receiving in life because let's face it a lot of us especially those of us listening to this i don't care how much trouble we have we really don't have much trouble there's a lot of trouble but it's different kind of trouble we experience a lot of grace a lot of blessings a lot of uh, many things keep working out all the time and that is a lot of positive energy and we need to create and give back that positive energy in order for the world to stay in a, in a harmonious place. And that's specifically our world, but then modeling and exemplifying for the world at large. I never thought of differentiating people in two different ways. One, people who are selfish. Two, people who are not. And I'm starting to really realize that that's a real thing. Like, when you are being selfish, when you just take, when you receive for the sake of just hoarding it and accumulating it, you're literally creating negative energy, negative particles in this world. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that you can't give anything you don't have, so your first job is to learn what works for you. You get to know yourself. You become intimate with yourself. But then you actually practice receiving and you know that your entire intention is to receive for the sake of sharing and giving, then you're creating positive particles, positive energy in the world. And that is why the human is even here. That is why the human has the opportunity to counteract like the, this ability to just receive for selfish reasons, and that just causes more chaos. We have the opportunity and the potential to share, and we all have it every day. We all have it every day. And I can tell. I can tell people who are happy or miserable. I can tell people who are abundant or not. 
It's, it comes down to this very simple thing. You know, what are you receiving for? Are you receiving for yourself? Are you receiving through yourself with the intention to share? And look at me now at the age of 30, I'm almost 36, speaking of such simple benevolent concepts, although it seems to be the building block and the foundation for the future. And all of the mm-hmm. decisions we're making right now, whether it's the Palestinians or in, in Israel politics or how you treat someone at work, to really ask yourself, all of this you know, creation that I'm doing, all of this, all of my dreams, my vision, is it really like this place of you know, a, a, a grandiose visions of myself and promises of what I'm going to do once I can or when I'm able to? Or are you really, really f- more than focused? Do you really have the intention to do something good in the world with your abundance, with your vision? A lot of people have this thing, well, once I have something, I'll share it. It's true. Mm-hmm. You cannot share something when you don't, what you don't have. But to really realize that chemically, electromagnetically, the, the plus and the minus that is within us the only way to keep it flowing is to continuously create positive charged particles. And that is with positive thoughts and positive actions. And, you know, you can't, you, you can't skip that part. And you can look at your life and you can look at, 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 at any source of misery and chaos and suffering and pain. And you can see that it really comes from this place of cancerous cells. Of, of cells that don't know how to let go or cells that don't know how to die or organizations that are focused on just accumulating or decisions that are really opportunistic. And that's the question. You know, when you mm-hmm. wake up in the morning, who, do you, who, who are you doing it for? What are you doing it? You know, what, what is your vision board for? What is your entire, what are, what are your dreams are all about? And it's okay. It's more than okay to want to receive because that is what we are. We are receiving vessels. We have inputs, but the opportunity is to share and to experience joy through this constant dance of the yin and the yang of, you know, accepting and sharing, receiving and not hoarding it all for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's, the, that's, that that place where seeming selfishness and and generosity and compassion work together and as you get that into balance that i mean it's something that i've struggled in my spiritual life forever is is feeling guilty for doing work on myself because that I had this concept that, well, that's selfish of me. But now that I've started to open up through my Zen practice, through the the spiritual journey work that I do with you, I've really opened up. You know, the first step of that, my first experience was really finding self-love. And once I was able to actually find that, just as you said, now I actually had something to share. And it took me 50, 50 years 
of living before I even got to the point where it was going to be okay for me to love myself without guilt, to be compassionate with myself, because now I'm actually ready. Oh, I, I won't even say I'm ready. Now I actually at least have some tool, a tool, to do what I've felt has been my life's work since I was a very young person, which is is to help people, is to grow, is to bring people together, is to break down these barriers that we've been talking about. And and finding that balance, I think I think it's the trick, you know? I think that's the trick of being a human. And in a huge way for me, I think that's the lesson that I'm here to learn in this lifetime. You know, I, I do actually accept the Buddhist concept of of rebirth um and i really think that that's the thing that i'm here to learn and ideally as we're sitting here having this conversation speaking to the world as we are that's what i'm trying to share and i finally feel like right now i'm in the midst of a new beginning as you've said of being able to to put people together, to join people, to find my voice, because my voice is important. Not because my voice is important, but my voice is important because I think there's a lot of people out there who who are experiencing similar feelings and beliefs about themselves and their place in the world that maybe, as I share how I'm breaking it down, and as we have these conversations that we're sharing on, we're, we're providing a safe space for people to actually break down those barriers so that they can get a little more real with who they are and their own truth. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it just seem overwhelming. And now, <laughs> and now it feels, the only thing that's overwhelming is knowing that there are certain parts in me and there are certain parts in you that are between us and really good work. Mm. Not the mm-hmm. world, not the world, not the problems that are outside of us, not any money or any, that's not true. The real, the real, there is a, there is a place of resistance that's within us, that's between us and our deepest work. And I think that will take us practice. You know, this is more like a private mm-hmm. conversation we're having out loud. Yeah. It will take us practice and commitment to hone in on what we really, really want to do or even say and share. And know that it will be awkward at first and it's, we're going to feel stuck at it. But there's something we want to do specifically in the way we, which we want to share it. We may not know exactly what to do, but we know what we're not doing. And there's going to be different people at different times listening to us, and we're going to we're going to attract different people. However, there is a quality of work which we're looking to produce. I know that is so authentic. I know that about you, and I know that about me because. We somehow, we cross paths to really awaken that in us. So I know I'm speaking mm-hmm. to everyone that's listening to this. It's, 
one thing to launch podcasts and to have websites and have you know online courses and membership websites and conferences and retreats people can do that all day long and you can make good money doing it you can make really good money doing it probably if you're consistent and relatable but then there is a whole other level and that and it's not a level as in greater or bigger it's just a lot more expansive and that expansiveness relates to the to the notes to the music notes we are hitting in people's hearts and what we're looking to strum the notes that we're looking to strum up are really those deep ones that causes people to remember who they are to really remember their co-creativity and to remember the fact that you are always, always speaking and creating your reality. And it behooves you to really pay attention to where you come from, who you are, and what it is that you want to create and make the time and the effort and say goodbye to friends, say goodbye to, to environments that are not allowing you to flourish to really be okay with letting go to so many things that seem safe and good for the sake of truly leading us to a world where we live at like the end of days, whatever those biblical times were promised, it's now. This, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the internet is the Messiah. It really is. What was the whole promise of the Messiah where everybody knows? Mm-hmm. That's what I remember mm-hmm. as the Messiah. Everybody knows. Everybody will know when the Messiah comes. Right? <laughs> Am I wrong? Like That was it. No, so, that was it. Yeah. So, as far as I'm concerned, the Messiah came. If you were a prophet and a sage, and you saw that one day in the late, late 19th, you know, in the, in the 21st century, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to have access to, to all the information. Well, is it that far-fetched to, to, to think that that's the internet? <laughs> I love it. It's, but the, okay, and, it, and it's meaning-making. It's what we make of it. I believe that we are at the, at the dawn of the Messiah. We are at the era where we have access to unlimited abundance. We realize that it's all digital. It was always digital. It was always in our minds, always what we say. But this is the first time that we've managed to connect us all. This is the first time that we managed to get over that limitation. Dude, how, how, how long ago did people's ex- life expectancy was only like 47 years old? When was that? Mm-hmm. Like 50s, recent, no? Yeah. Like recent. We are idiots and assholes and selfish pricks <laughs> for not even realizing that just in this little shorter time, lifetime lifespan has doubled. You think it's coincidence? It's doubled because we have more potential. Our vessels literally have increased. We have to do something with it. Otherwise, we'll destroy ourselves. So this quality of work, this quality of, of reminders, this remembership that we're all boarding, okay? This literally ship as we navigate consciousness and we all remember together, take some work and it's going to take some effort 
individually for you and for me to sit there Mm -hmm. and put out some quality work, put out some quality invitations, and not worry about the numbers, not worry about uh, even self-expression. Because you and I are pretty good at speaking at this point. We know that. You've been speaking in front of people. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be nervous. Now I'm not. That's not enough. It's just not enough. It's good. It's sweet. And it's very cute. So we can do it. And I know we're very proud of ourselves. But we've got to take it up a notch, down a notch, or whatever you want to call it, and hone in on the fact that we are creating a vision in which connects us all to the cosmos, in which connects us all as humans, in which we realize that every thought, every action, every single word that we say has an effect and an influence on our everyday life, everyone around us, and we need to really cultivate a sense of awe and reverence and gratitude and some respect to life itself and realize that there is no outside God. There is no outside force. We are the force and we're not the only one. We have to work with our brothers and sisters, with the rest of us. We have to, you know, responsibility for everyone. There is no they, there is no them, and there's nobody to kill. There's only us to heal and embrace. It's very, very important. And the words that we use and the invitations and the platforms that we create, whether it's a podcast or a blog or a seminar or a course or just a, you know, one-on-one meeting or music or art or a movie, it's all magic. It's all very, should be very, very intentional. Every single thing before we speak, before we talk, before we pick up the phone, we should just take a moment and really say, what am I creating? Who am I being? Am I living my, like, you know, you use the word Dharma and I'm going to start using it more. You know, am I, am I, am I, am I living, a living example of my life's work? And I don't mean just my life, but my parents' life, my parents' parents, my teachers, their teachers. You know, what, what line of work are you in? That's, you know, that's, that's the question I would have people really ask themselves. And you, you can say, I'm a light worker. Great. I'm here to spread more love. Great. In what way? What's fun for you? What excites you? What epiphanies do you have? And if you don't have those, if you don't know that, and you think that, well, that's your struggle, that's not true. You got to journal more. You got to listen more. You got to see what mm. is itching you. What have you been ignoring? What things have you studied that you turn your back on? What pissed you off? What did your parents study? When did they lose their mojo? Maybe your job is just to continue what your parents stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's really funny as really we're funny. talking about this. Talking you know, we started, this, you know we started out with me, me, as, uh, with me as Kaijo. Kaijo. And... Uh, it's not that I'm trying to be all spiritual in something. The real truth of the matter is that I'm afraid that if certain people who are clients of mine, of my production business, are going to find out I'm doing this, they're going to leave me. And I'll lose, I'll lose my money. And yeah, as we're having this conversation, and, and, and I'm just realizing how completely inauthentic that is. My name is Blaine. I'm, my fucking name is Blaine Freest, and that's who I am. <laughs> you know, and if we're going to really do this, 
I need I need to stop hiding. You know, it was just me hiding. And uh, I don't know. I just I. Good to have you back. Yeah. And let me tell you. And something. I also. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no I want to hear. Oh, I want to hear. And okay. I also. Well, what what you know, and, and what I love what we're doing here is, you know, we're calling ourselves the spiritual assholes. And to be perfectly honest, you know, we don't really have it figured out. And that's the beautiful thing. And and I think that's hopefully one of the compelling things about this podcast and this show that we're doing together is we're co-creating this and welcome. And it's not just you and me, you know, we're co-creating this with the rest of the world. And I, yeah, you know, you know, this is going to grow and, and we're going to get people to call in and, and we're going to be co-creating with them then. And it's not like we're here speaking and teaching and doing all that stuff. We're just here, you know, like you said, having an intimate conversation open to anybody who wants to listen. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe you'll find a little nugget somewhere in this conversation that, that as we go through this process of trying to figure it out and get to where we want to get to, and as we're doing our journeys, as we're on our path, that maybe we'll help somebody else open up a little bit. Definitely. Two things. I have 59 podcast episodes on SoundCloud. Maybe one or two phone calls actually came in. Yeah. Uh, I have 59 podcasts. That's like at least 100 hours because a lot of them are more, about two hours. Today, I got a message from somebody saying, thank you for doing the podcast. I've been listening to all of them, some of them maybe twice. I'm like, okay. So this is a, this is a new kind of message. Uh, you know, you don't know, what, you don't know what you do and how long you're going to do it for and five years from now, those first hundred hours would be so beneficial to so many people because in some ways, what we're saying right now is maybe for the future. You have to understand. And we're creating work for the, for a wave of people that are, the only reason that they listen to this is because it's our earlier work. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like we don't know where the world is. Now, another thing, I used to always be worried about you know, people knew that I'm this, would they come to me for this? If they had a website, would they come to me for that? I would lose my business here if, uh, you know, you don't want to. Let me tell you this. Oh, God, I'm so, uh, uh, I don't want to say I'm an asshole because of this show. And <clears throat> I can't believe I've been so afraid of this kind of stuff. I uh, I had a phone call today from someone that said that they ran, that somebody ran into them in the street and said, Oh, yeah. I used to work with Aurea. But uh, as you have heard, everybody's leaving Aurea now. That's the kind of phone calls I'm getting. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Now, let me tell you, and it ain't because of my website, you know? It's, uh... it's, it's, we, we get, it's like, but those are, those are important phone calls to get. Yeah. Those are all showing me that anything that I was worried about is not real, and anything that I sh that 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 <laughs> I didn't think I have to worry about, I have to pay attention to. Who knows? You know, that was a that was a real phone call I had, that I, and my hand was actually shaking. You know, I, for a little bit, like I was looking at my phone, 
and I was like, Jesus, my hand is shaking. I'm like, I guess wow. this really affected me. As much as I'm trying to play it cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, like, I never thought I'd get a phone call that says everybody's leaving Orion. And what's the point of this? That we got to keep doing our work and do not hide, man. Like hiding is just, it's no good. It's no good because yeah. when you're hiding, you're hiding from yourself. You're hiding from yourself. And playing it the safe, only thing yeah. we... Yeah. The only thing we can do is go from here and say, who am I? What's my intention? What can I take care of? How can I take care of myself? And know that ultimately I'm here to, to take care of our, you know, of our life, of our planet, of our earth, of people around me. If you pay attention to fears, man, they'll find you. Let me tell you, they'll find you. And you want to have a pen name and nickname. That's great. If you, if it's for marketing reasons, but don't have it for mm-hmm. fear. Don't have it for fear reasons. That's for sure. You're going to have a nickname. You're going to have different things. Amazon lets you you know, have up to three different pen names. Not because people are hiding, but because it's good for marketing. That's different. Mm-hmm. But if you're faced with some of your fears, uh, definitely embrace them because otherwise they'll show up as the weirdest fungals. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, it's man. not the phone well, call I wanted to get. It's not the phone call I wanted to get arriving from Israel. Let me tell you. Right. Crazy. Yeah, but it's okay. At least it was yeah. a friend calling me. Th- those are all good signs. You know, they're mm-hmm. all, even even the punches. They come with gloves. That's what I'm saying. Like we have to really pay attention to this stuff. Even when the punches and the and then the hits, they come with slippers and gloves. That means that they're just, they're just signs. They're not an ultimate truth. Hmm. Well, man, we've been talking for about an hour and 20 minutes. And, you know, we, these are normally scheduled for an hour, but I didn't want to stop because the conversation was great. But uh, Good. is there anything else to you be want continued. to say before we wrap it? To be continued. Absolutely. Yeah, to be continued. That's about it. Just uh, if anything, you know, speaks to you, just... Uh, Feel into it and know that if you ignore it now, it will come back again. So we'll remind each other. <laughs> you got that right. All right, man. Good. It's great to have you back. And I love you, man. I love you too. And I'll see you soon, I'm right. sure. Yeah, you okay. will. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.